Today's episode is brought to you by The Chocolate Moose. The Chocolate Moose is a specialty candy store based in Pittsburgh, but they also have an amazing online store. They offer a number of different delicious sweet confections, everything from artisan chocolates, specialty curated gift baskets, gummies, jelly beans, imported candies from all over the world, and anything you can imagine they can ship to you if you want to treat yourself they can ship to your loved ones if you want to send a fun gift and um, they are available on instagram you can find them at the chocolate moose pgh that's m-o-o-s-e or you can go to their website at chocolate-moose-2.myshopify.com
to offer the position to you. Good Lord. That's a terrible idea. I, I don't think I would play very well in Iowa or, or Wisconsin. I'm a water sign. Hello, my little BBs. How are you guys doing? Welcome to another week's episode of the Burn Black Audio Scene. And as always, I am your host, B, the Zine Witch. How are you guys doing today? Um, It's another fresh week in lockdown. The world is bonkers, but I'm still smiling. I'm still bringing in that good light. I am breathing in the good-ass prana and living life despite everything going on in the world because that's the only way to fucking live at this point. We have some interesting transits this week. We have, first of all, Mercury has gone direct. So we now have a chance to integrate some of the lessons that we learned during the retrograde cycle and hopefully this has put us into a better place as far as some of the old wounds that we have been working on um, are concerned and I want to talk about a new thing that just happened which is that the sun is opposite Jupiter now at 22 degrees Capricorn kill or be killed that is the 22 degree mark oh my goodness so this is this is a heavy transit but the bigger thing happening is that Mars is now conjunct Chiron retrograde so Chiron is the wounded healer it is the deepest wound in our chart and if you don't know your Chiron placement I would go and look it up now the house placement is going to be very telling it's going to show where it shows up for you And so by looking at your Chiron placement and what house it's in, you're going to really see how this will be affecting you this month. Because with Mars here, now now Mars is the planet of action. It's a doer. (laughs) And so this is really forcing us to get away from our shadow selves and to confront our biggest wounds. And if we're not facing these things, I'll tell you what, Mars is going to be coming for us, man, because this is not a time to turn away. So I've been noticing a lot of people have been going through breakups recently. Other people have been going through processes of regeneration. Um, I've noticed a lot of people getting into therapy recently that have never been into therapy. I've noticed a lot of people... Uh, entering recovery programs and really doing I'm proud of you guys I'm really proud of you for doing the work it is not easy to come to terms with these issues but perhaps we are all recognizing that our lives will be better the more uh, soon we we start to begin to live authentically There is no shame in having issues. There's no shame in being an addict. There's no shame in having trauma. There's no shame in needing help. And there's no shame in asking for help. But when you're running away from those things, when you're running away from your shadow, when you're running away from the problems, 
they don't just go away and uh, nothing changes if nothing changes am I right so I noticed so many of you guys working on your woundings and I just want to say I'm I'm really proud of you guys and so we've had like two years now that I have been doing astrology professionally although I've been loving it for years and I have to say I've really in these last two years have built such strong friendships with my client base and I have to say a number of you are just reconnecting with you in the last month I have to say I'm so proud of you guys like I've seen you guys putting in the work and changing and transforming and it's it's such a beautiful thing and so I really want to shout out Shannon one of my clients Shannon today who sent me recently a very beautiful message about my work and and its effect in her life and it it just made me want to cry (laughs) but I'm just so proud of her because regardless of whatever energy work I did for Shannon I I think it's really just magical the ways that she has made difficult choices to end certain relationships in her life that were no longer serving her but that are in a very beautiful place nonetheless the best place that they could be because you have a family and um, just doing the best thing for the people involved in that family is is great and it's not an easy thing to do to walk away from relationships or friendships or um, anything that does not serve you substances that do not long to do not longer serve you I can't speak today. I thought Mercury went direct. So this week on the podcast, I have an amazing chat with Gwendolyn Walsh, who is a sex educator and tarot reader, and she works with both Venus and Lilith energy. And so we talk a bit about that. We also talk about tantric practices, sex magic, and healing through BDSM. So stick around. I hope to have Gwendolyn back, but this is an amazing chat and you're really going to learn something and a great way to connect with both your body or your partner by the end of this episode. What do you feel sex magic means to you personally? What do you take away from it? Um, How do you play with it in your own life? Yeah, so sex magic to me is reclaiming that sense of sexual autonomy that we are fed by the media, but also implicitly not allowed to claim for ourselves. At least that's what we're told. Um, So sex magic to me is taking that, claiming that sexuality for ourselves and honoring the power that it holds, you know, just like it has... Um, the the power that marketers use to advertise things with women's sexuality, um, we can take that for ourselves and utilize that in a constructive way to make things happen for ourselves, to manifest what we want in our lives, and to really honor the power that we have within ourselves. Because really, the entire um, kind of point of sex magic is that 
Candles are great, toys are great, but the the apex of the power is ourselves, our pleasure, our orgasm, and being able to channel that and embrace that and appreciate that and see ourselves as powerful, as magical, as capable of identifying what we want and getting it, you know, um, reaching out for it and um, manifesting it for ourselves is just amazing and beautiful and that we don't really need any other tools or props in order to do that. It's all within ourselves. Absolutely. I always think about the fact that the actual definition of both magic and Tantra is just the transmutation of energy. Mm -hmm. So like essentially if love is the highest vibration or, or form of energy, 432 megahertz, they say, and uh, our, our, what is it? Our sacral chakra to heal it. We need to have, we need to hear things at 417 megahertz. I believe it is. I could be wrong. Someone can write me in, but I feel like if that is the highest vibration to awaken our heart, our, our sacral um, and to transmute that, it really probably is the best form and the highest form of energy because it's created upon love, both self-love and love of the other individual if you're participating in it with another individual. Mm-hmm. What do you feel is the most important part of that action? Um, is it breath? Do you think it's intention? Like what to you signifies the transmission of energy, do you think? I think the the most important factor of it, I mean, of course, you could argue many different factors, but um, at least in my experience, it's been that connection with the physical body as a conduit for the energetic um, connection to ourselves, to our magic, to the universe. Um, so in my experience, just being, you know, allowing myself to connect with the body, um, to appreciate my sensuality, um, and to be able to see how my connection with my body is good, you know, rewarding myself for connecting with my body rather than, uh, mistreating it or forcing it to do things that it doesn't naturally want to do, you know, really, embracing the pleasure and um, purposefully allowing myself to feel good in my body um, for the purposes of pleasure and joy and also for the purposes of moving forward in um, manifesting an intention that I want is just so beautiful you know seeing the the rewards of connecting with one's body when we are so often taught that it's better to not connect with the body Oh, yeah, totally. Um, Do you feel like working with goddess energy is really um, indicative of that as well? Because it's, uh, I'm just curious, you work with Lilith. What what does Lilith, first of all, what does Lilith mean to you? Why do you find working with goddesses so important? Um, Can you talk a little bit about that and what that means in your particular practice? Sure. So when I first came to goddess worship, I, of course, I grew up Catholic. And so divinity um, from the time I 
began to understand it was punitive. It was separate from me. It was not like me. Um, it was not reflective of me. It was its own thing. Um, and then when I found goddess worship, when I came upon it, it was this recognition that divinity could look like me, divinity could represent and reflect me, and it could emulate um, all of the different facets of who I am and who women and people are in general. You know, we are not perfect. We are not um, single faceted. We are able to create and destroy. We are able to be tender and strong and everything in between. Um, journeys, our own unique experiences, and our own autonomy. And so for those reasons, goddess worship really drew me um, in the sense of nourishing and supporting my growth and my autonomy as an individual instead of um, being punitive, punishing me for things that are wrong. Um, and that idea of original sacredness instead of original sin really, really drew me, you know, being able to think of, Absolutely. yeah, myself and my body and my soul and mind as not automatically bad, but as automatically good and understanding and rewarding that journey, um, honoring that journey of, yeah, sometimes I'm going to fuck up. Sometimes I'm going to make mistakes and that doesn't make me any less sacred you know oh absolutely yeah so that's, that's, that's part of it for me mm -hmm. yeah so that really that was the beginning of my journey um and when I came to Lilith um she really drew me because for so long she has been seen as um kind of the epitome of what women shouldn't be or what people in general shouldn't be um especially women identifying people and uh, when I really came to her, I was in this point in my life of um, I was in an abusive relationship and I was also I was in college and uh, basically I was completely socially ousted by um, my entire college department of the major I was in. So when I when it came time to do my thesis, I just I had some trouble um, really coming to what I wanted to write on, but I knew I wanted to write about Lilith. And so I ended up writing about um, kind of the Lilith archetype throughout literature and then um, the reclamation of the Lilith archetype in modern feminist spirituality. And as I was researching um, the mythology of Lilith and her archetype throughout um, specifically Victorian Gothic literature, which of course was super... Uh, fascinated with her archetype, you know, the sexually <laughs> liberated woman, um, but also very punitive of it. And so as mm -hmm. how do you how do you feel like you reclaimed Lilith personally? Mm -hmm. Like, like, when, if someone were to ask you how you feel, um, you embrace her, like, how how would you reframe her in, in a context that other people could connect with? Yeah, well? so she is definitely she's absolutely not a single faceted um, divine figure at all. <laughs> she's not someone to not take that you shouldn't take any deity seriously. But to me, I see her as um, the ability to be multifaceted, the ability to be a creator and a destroyer. And perhaps 
a type of person that people don't automatically like so to speak you know she doesn't try to be likable she just is herself she is in her own power um she is someone that demands respect and she won't accept anything less and that is how i've really seen her and connected with her as um this kind of um reflection of divinity of femininity as you cannot fuck with me. I will not allow you to fuck with me. These are my boundaries. This is what I am and am not okay with. And if you don't like me because of that, if you don't like me because of who I authentically am, I'm okay with that. I'm not going to change myself, you know, so that that ability to be unabashedly authentic and just really be ourselves and be okay with people not liking us and know that that doesn't mean that we're not good people. We might be flawed people, but as long as we are staying true to ourselves, then that's all we need to do. That's amazing. Do you have a prominent Lilith placement in your astrology chart? Mine is conjunct my uh, Mercury. So the fact that I I teach this type of stuff uh, is very interesting to me especially because it's in an opposition with Cassandra, another goddess um, from Greek mythology, is another person who really spoke up for what she believed in and was actually shunned for it, like like Lilith, actually, like the same. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of interesting that these these energies are in opposition for me. I always feel like that is a very metaphoric of my life. Do you, do you feel like Lilith uh, is prominent in your chart and how does that show up? Yeah. So my Lilith is in Gemini and I believe it's in my first house because my ascendant is Gemini. Um, so she is very prominent for me. <laughs> um, I can't remember um, off the top of my head if I have any specific placements in relation to other planets or other forces in my chart. I would have to look that up. Um, but I remember when I did see that it was in Gemini, I was like, Ooh, yep. <laughs> makes a lot of sense. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. Do you feel they, like there's a duality to your personality and like, what would that be for you? Oh, absolutely. Oh my goodness. I, I feel like the most transformative times in my life are when I have these really intense identity crises. Um, like when I, when I first started getting into witchcraft and paganism, um, I was in college and I, I was having such a hard time. It was one of the darkest times of my life. Um, but it was also so transformative to me. Um, and, and I love that, you know, I, I look back on it and I have a lot of love for that time and for myself in that time. And I think in that way, that duality to my personality is that I really love and need the softness, the tenderness, you know, Venus is also huge in my worship. Um, But I also really need and crave and don't shy away from the darkness and the shadow self and that that more prominent uh, facet of Lilith as the destroyer, as, you know, the one who hones her own magic, who isn't, you know, afraid of the power of her own magic um, and who isn't afraid of that transformation. Um, 
I love the the rewriting of the Lilith myth in Lieber Kane, um, where she is the one who rescues Eve um, via sending Azazel to be the serpent that comes to Eve in the apple tree. Um, and I just feel like that I can see that duality within Lilith as the loving mother who wants to save her daughter from ignorance and from an abusive relationship. And also Lilith as, you know, the demoness, the, the, the reason, the very valid reason that people are afraid of her. The Bible is such a weird thing because Mm -hmm. you like you're, 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 you're sitting there talking about two different wives and this idea, like, you know, um, our culture would have us, be competitive with one another but even in that story uh Lilith is able to see beyond any sort of competition and cares about her fellow woman and she she's actually trying to help Eve and and so I think that's like also a really powerful lesson um about relationships that we can really take away from and learn from especially because like I feel like the culture is very much changing for women in 2020 Whereas people of like my older sister's generation, there weren't enough jobs or careers for women. And so they were kind of figuring out how to sort of navigate that. And so it breeds this idea of us being competitive against one another because there's only one person to do it. Whereas I think the millennials and people who are like late generation uh, X have this more like collaborative approach where we want to bring each other up. So I think that that like those energies like working in unison like that is like in a very ethically important story. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And and when I think of why um especially more patriarchal figures are typically afraid of Lilith, I think it's important to look beyond the stereotypical myths of her as a baby killer or a whatever and think like why is she posited in this way? Why are those patriarchal figures afraid of her? And when you talk about it in the sense of wanting to isolate and separate women from themselves um, and not allow them to convene in community. If Lilith is kind of that symbol of reaching out to your fellow feminine folks and collaborating, connecting, and drawing on that collective power, then of course there would be fear there. Of course there would be um, mythology developed that alienates and vilifies that figure of someone who reaches out to save their fellow woman instead of allowing them to suffer in an abusive or incestual situation. Absolutely. Um, So if somebody at home wants to begin practicing sex magic and they want to use um, goddesses for manifestation purposes or wants to just simply get started and figure out the best way to harness their own sexual energy for manifestation, where would they begin? Um, Can you talk a little bit about the goddesses that they might like to use and for what purpose and maybe... I think it's also important to maybe talk about some of the ethics behind that as well. Yep, absolutely. So it's really important to remember that magic does not exist in a vacuum. Energy does not exist in a vacuum. And goddesses aren't simply personalities or um, kind of figureheads to draw upon and then throw away. Um, I think that a lot of people see goddesses as kind of like – 
I'm kind of thinking of like a closet metaphor of how in Clueless Cher kind of like tries on these different outfits and she's like, oh, I like this one today. I don't like that one today. And at least to me, that's not what goddesses are like. It's kind of like developing a relationship with a mentor or a family member um, or some sort of a a guru in person, um, except it's just more of a spiritual relationship. So if someone wants to start off with sex magic, um, I highly recommend starting off solo um, just because partnered sex magic, there's a lot in... um, more in depth in terms of the ethics, consent, um, mutually informed consent, all of that, and mixing another person's energy with your own. Um, And of course, that's great in terms of like uh, sex magic for conception, things like that. But for one's own uh, practice, I would definitely recommend starting solo and maintaining that solo. You definitely do not need a partner for sex magic. Um, So in terms of incorporating goddesses into it, um, it is important to look at obviously the research, um, the lore within different deities. Um, Obviously, some deities have much more lore. Typically, you know, Norse deities have a lot of lore um, and there's a lot of texts on them. Um, Same with many Celtic deities. And then other deities like Lilith, for example, there's not a whole lot of... um, reliable textual lore and mythology. Um, There's definitely a lot of essays and um, channeled works, which are great. Um, And of course, someone can develop their own UPG, which is unverified personal gnosis, you know, things that they feel information they've gained just by meditating or trance or channeling. Um, So I would definitely recommend getting to know a deity before asking for their time and labor, um, developing a relationship with them, you know, giving them offerings. Water is a great general offering that many people think is too simple, but it's really not. Um, so definitely don't go out of your way financially to um, give offerings to deities unless you do really feel that it's right. Um, deities like Freya would probably. Uh, prefer fresh flowers as opposed to, you know, the dried rotting roses that I have on my nightstand. (laughs) Um, But Lilith, for example, would love the rotting roses. You know, when I um, lived in my last apartment, my Lilith altar was um, on top of my roommate's um, cat, like the litter box. And Lilith loved it like she loved being on top of like a stand where there was a bunch of cat poop (laughs) below and you know so knowing those things and like giving yeah like giving Lilith uh wine and letting it rot you know on her altar she fucking loves it (laughs) so figuring out um yeah yeah those those different aspects of different deities and Um, knowing which ones to work with for which purposes. So like Kuan Yin, for example, is very compassionate. Um, That's how I've found that she is in my work with her. Um, Whereas Lilith is more like, she is very kind of tit for tat in the sense of if you want something from her, you need to work. Like my great offering to Lilith was writing my thesis on her. And I didn't necessarily ask her for anything in return, but I kind of felt that she was on my shoulder the whole time, guiding me through that process of like the microcosm of my life and my experience 
uh, reflecting that kind of macrocosm of what she went through and her archetypal experiences. That's amazing. I, I think that that's such an important thing to talk about as well, because I feel like we don't often we we are taught like ma- very young that magic is just like this thing that you can do like a spell and and maybe something will happen from it. But you actually need to be doing the work or the work doesn't work. And I think the work also needs to have ethics behind it and and to really appreciate what you are doing and the history behind it and the structures and energies that you're really working with. Because if you're just doing it to gain something and there's and it's not like a back and forth, you're you're not really learning something bigger about the world, if that makes sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, we can't just ask for, um, you know, if we we think that, oh, you know, this deity represents this thing that I want. So I'm just going to ask them for this thing and then never interact with you them again. It's it like respect. Exactly. It's just like a spell itself. You know, you can't expect to spend 30 seconds on a spell and have this big glorious effect like energy in equals energy out to in that sense. Absolutely. So what are some other goddesses that um, if people are listening, they they might want to work with? Like I've been working with Wan Ying recently. Um, I feel like I ha- I've been taking a lot of like very cancer in energy, very caring, compassionate energy. A lot of the world has been really needing a lot of rays. So mm-hmm. I feel like I that's who I've really been connecting with. Um, but I also feel like my moods kind of fluctuate. So sometimes one goddess or DT might like um, inspire me. And then in another mood, I might feel differently. I have Gemini ruling my 10th house. So <laughs> I, I tend to have different personas depending on who I'm actually working with I tend to be kind of mutable to the energy that I'm I'm surrounding so I'd love to hear your take on some other um goddesses and and what they bring up for you yeah yeah I have Aquarius in my 10th house so I get that that kind of (laughs) oh there's another shiny thing I'm gonna go over there now (laughs) um yeah I definitely I mean I'm a Gemini rising so I I feel that very strong duality, um, especially towards kind of the dynamic um, or the dichotomy of the soft and tender and then the dark and harsh and all of that. Um, I have a, a strong love for both. So um, I I love, especially for love and self-love work, um, Venus, of course, is great. Um, I have loved working with Freya a lot too. She's great in terms of uh, feminine empowerment, um, especially folks who are healing from any sort of sexual trauma um, or who want that kind of um, strong yet gentle warrioress energy um, and connection to the body since um, Freya is a Vanir, so she's a Norse goddess, um, more so of the earth as opposed to the sky. So she's great for folks who are feeling like they want to get more um connected to their own bodies, um, and doing more embodiment work. Um, who else? We talked about Kuan Yin. Um, I've been loving Hecate a lot recently. Um, darker deities are great for folks who are ready to enter those realms and to feel protected when they're doing that shadow work, um, when they're exploring, um, 
their own inner selves, um, the good, the bad, and the ugly, so to speak. And Hecate is great for connecting to our own power. Um, she is a deity of witchcraft and sorcery. Um, she's a protectress of women and female identifying folks. Um, so she's been wonderful. And the Morrigan, of course, is another one of um, my close um, uh, deities that I'm devoted to. And she is much more um, in my experience of like a tough love mama type. You know, she's not going to do things for you. She'll be there for you um, to guide you through that and be a very strong protectress through um, those journeys, those transformative journeys. Um, but she also is a warrior goddess as well. So if people don't know where to start, I would recommend um, looking into their own heritage if that's something that calls to them. Um, I actually, I'm strongly Celtic and I didn't feel drawn to any Celtic deities until I found the Morrigan and she's now like one of my main deities. So it can really depend. Um, but either way, whether it's kind of just sitting and meditating and seeing what colors, what symbols, what animals even come to someone and then researching based on that. Um, or if someone is just kind of looking at, you know, even a simple Google search of, you know, deities of love or deities of protection or whatever. Um, there's a lot more uh, literature on goddesses around nowadays, um, which I appreciate, but I think that there's, there's a lot of different ways that people can go about it. Um, but either way, it does, to an extent, need to be a reciprocal relationship. Um, like we can't just pick up goddesses like a dress on a rack at H&M, you know? Um, so if someone does find a deity or want to seek out a deity to work with, I think it's really important to um, express that, express that interest and uh, provide offerings. Again, whether that's something like water, which is really universal, or something more specific, like a certain type of flower or a plant or a red wine or whatever, um, and reach out and and see what kind of messages someone receives back, you know, whether that's through dreams or um, animals that someone sees more often. Um, I think it's really important to not necessarily overly seek out validation. Like you don't need to wait to see a huge murder of crows in order to work with the Morrigan. But I think that at least some level of feeling like the energy is reciprocated is really important because it is a relationship. It's not just um, a one-sided or transactional thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you factor in like doing sex magic into actual sexual education? Cause you're also a sex educator. So I'm curious where, where the, those two things coincide. In yeah. Your yeah. Um, it's interesting because people are usually either super into it or they don't really jazz with it. You know, they don't really vibe with it in terms of mixing the sexual and the spiritual, which is perfectly okay. Um, but in terms of 
why I do it, I think it's really important, at least in my experience, to add that sense of energy, that sense of sacredness um, to sexuality. Um, I think that magic is so important in terms of claiming our autonomy, our sovereignty, and our power, you know, our ability to competently move through the world and get what we want um, and feel like life is not being done to us, but rather we have that sense of constructive control in our lives. Like we get to choose um, what happens to us, where we go in our lives and um, how we mold our worlds. And so I think that combined with the lens in which we are taught to view sexuality, um, whether it's a lack of consent in sex education or whether it's a disconnection from the body um, or more of a focus on male pleasure and sexuality rather than feminine pleasure. I think that that, that same kind of, it's not necessarily explicitly taught, but especially for more female female identifying folks, there's a lack of autonomy and emphasis on pleasure, um, at least in what I saw in sex education growing up Catholic. Um, so I think that that emphasis on one's pleasure, one's joy, and one's right to decide, you know, to um, be able to have an autonomous sex life, to be able to have a joyous sex life, and be able to choose, like, I am dedicating my sexual energy, which I know is so powerful, toward this intention, which I know is right for me, because I deserve it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what is a good beginner exercise they could try at home if they are trying to um, harness their energy for the very first mm -hmm. time? So the basic structure of sex magic is having, first of all, having an intention, of course, making it very specific and holding that and building up energy towards that, that intention um, while one builds the pleasure in their body and then releasing that pleasure at orgasm and at the same time releasing that intention um, for transmutation and manifestation, um, all of those wonderful terms. <laughs> so in terms of a good beginner practice um just really slowly feeling one's sensuality like getting into a place of it can be as simple or as ornate as one feels um it's just really important to be in that headspace that is conducive towards magic you know so if it's at all possible to kind of let go of the stressors of the day um to make yourself feel luxurious to make yourself feel powerful um and kind of revel in that sensuality that pleasure you know um there's definitely a time and a place for a really quick five minute sesh with a vibrator but in terms of sex magic if we want to really build that energy then it is important to to dedicate that time to building that energy and making it um really strong so whatever one finds that is most pleasurable to them um and that's a whole other thing you know internal external sensation um but really engaging the whole body you know engaging the breath um doing any sort of tantric exercises if one feels that's right or just doing something as simple as breathing into the sacral chakra you know that area right below the navel and 
really feeling the full extent of the joy and the pleasure in one's body at that moment and really building that, taking your time with it. And again, it's it can be pretty much the same physical um, structure as just regular masturbating um, or regular sex with a partner, but pretty much with the addition of that energetic protection, first of all. Um, so kind of envisioning that bubble of white light or whatever it is, um, or lighting some incense for protection or saying a prayer for protection, um, just because it is important to do that whenever we're engaging in um, any sort of magic magical working. Um, and holding that intention um, in one's mind, one's mind's eye throughout the entire session and then at the peak of energy at orgasm, really holding it in one's mind, seeing it even stronger as it is in the present moment. Um, so, you know, seeing yourself in that nice business suit um, as a CEO of your own company or seeing yourself living in Australia or Europe or whatever, whatever the intention is, viewing it in the present as you release it and giving all of that energy, giving all of that pleasure and joy to bringing that intention to life. Absolutely. Can you share with us um, perhaps one tantric breathwork technique for a beginner if they're trying to learn how to connect with their breath or um, connect with their partner's Mm -hmm. breath? A little bit sure more. so oh my goodness there's so many um <laughs> you can share more than one I just don't want to uh, put you on the spot what are what are some of your favorites that you so use? I guess I'll share a, a solo one and a partnered one so my favorite solo one is um the heart breath and, and it's super simple and it can be connected um and elaborated in a bunch of ways but it's pretty much just breathing into your heart and allowing your belly to expand um, because often we are taught to kind of shrink in our bellies or suck in our bellies. Um, Again, thank you, unattainable body standards, (laughs) but breathing into the belly while really feeling the expansion of the heart and the belly at the same time um, is really important in terms of like releasing anxieties um, and also feeling that connection to the heart, allowing our hearts to expand rather than putting up walls um, and not allowing us to engage with our emotions. So it's pretty simple. Um, And also there's, I think it's called the bottom breath, which is pretty much the same thing in terms of breathing into the, I wish I remember what it was called in Kundalini, Uh, (laughs) the root lock, I believe it was called. So the sex organs, um, the anus and the navel and that whole area, you know, when we breathe in, really allowing that to expand, um, allowing ourselves to really feel our contact with our seat, um, wherever we're sitting. And that is really helpful for the root chakra and that feeling of groundedness and embodiment, you know, being safe in our bodies. And then one that is great for partners is, I think it's called the pose of recognition. Um, and it is, you know, two uh, folks or however many folks sitting, um, well, if it's two people sitting across from each other, um, pretty close, um, sitting cross-legged and one, 
let's see, the hand position is pretty specific. Um, so the left hand is extended out um, upwards and the right hand is extended out downwards. And so the partner's hands are meeting um, and the receptive hand, the left is up to receive and the expressive hand, the right hand is down to give um, that energy. And you do tantric eye gazing, which is looking into your partner's left eye because the left eye is the receptive eye. Um, and that's kind of the, you know, gazing into someone's soul. When people say that, that's usually what they are referring to, whether they know it or not. <laughs> and breathing um, in a way of when one part when one partner exhales the other partner inhales and when that partner exhales the other partner inhales you know so it's kind of a give and take of the breath and a gazing into each other's eyes and a feeling of the energy circling um, around the arms to the shoulders around to the other person um, and that's a really beautiful way of being truly engaged with a partner being truly open. And that's the thing is, you know, in, in our culture, especially, um, we have a hard time with eye contact and with really opening ourselves to another person and really engaging with another person. And so just sitting in this position where that is the only intention to look at each other and to energetically engage with each other. Um, it's a really, really beautiful pose. It's amazing. I, I love all of this. I'm, I want to ask you um, a little bit about how you got into sex education. Like what you, you mentioned earlier in your story that you had gone through an abusive relationship. Was it kind of the dissolution, like, I guess that falling apart and putting yourself back together or does it go back even further to your Catholic heritage? Like what, what brought you into sex education in the first place? Yeah, so um, it definitely has its origins in feeling like I didn't receive any education whatsoever. And that fear of the unknown, that uncertainty of, you know, I didn't have anyone to talk to to really answer my questions in a reliable way. Um, and therefore, I didn't feel empowered to take charge of my own sexuality, to know how to enjoy sex, to know how to be safe during sex. And so basically my journey was, I was a women's studies major in college. I had done an internship with Planned Parenthood um, that started right after Trump got elected. So that was um, a very... <laughs> That's a motivating yeah, factor Yeah, it was right a very there. unique experience. <laughs> but um, I really took a lot from it. Um, it really meant a lot to me. And that whole time um, was really transformative for me. Um, and that was around the time of the relationship. Um, and so going from there, after the internship ended, and I just continued as a volunteer, um, I saw that this sexuality boutique in my town um, was hiring. And I had never really thought of it before, but I was like, oh, that, I, I don't know, I just felt a draw to it. 
Um, and it seemed to make sense because I, you know, was a women's studies major. I had done all of this work with Planned Parenthood um, that I wanted to continue. And being at Planned Parenthood and seeing what it looked like to have comprehensive, consent-oriented, and pleasure-affirming um, education and healthcare really just blew my mind. <laughs> um, and so I applied for the job at Nomia, and I started working there and I kind of just fell into it like it was it's a very unique store in terms of the owner's ethics and the the way in which we're trained to communicate with customers um but I really loved it 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 wasn't the really sensationalized uh pornographic way of communicating it wasn't you know, a sketchy store with like the blacked out windows or anything. It was very open and authentic and frank and um, concerned with the emotional safety and comfort of the customers that came in there and of being just really open and education oriented. And that really resonated with me. And so when I started learning all of these things that I didn't know myself, you know, cause I, I still hadn't had a really comprehensive sex education. It really opened my eyes to how much people don't get that education, that pleasure that they do deserve and how, you know, if someone comes in there, that, could change their whole life, you know, having that first touch point of a positive and pleasure affirming sex education, just wild, you know? <laughs> so that really working there for, um, for a few years, just absolutely cemented it for me. And, um, when I stopped working there, I continued, um, just doing what I do on Instagram and yeah, it's been an amazing journey. That's awesome. It's so good to hear that too. I recently, um, a few months ago before coronavirus hit, I had gone to uh, a workshop with Zoe Ligon and mm. uh, she was talking a little bit about her journey creating um, Spectrum Boutique and how there was just like a lack of sex education. So it really seems that a lot of these places that um, – work in that sort of field have been gearing themselves more in this kind of like sex nerd type of way mm -hmm. and I think that that's like extremely important because education not only increases our pleasure but it it also is you know it's very important as far as the way we connect with ourselves and learning our own bodies just in general like I talk to women a lot and like a lot of them have never even like connected with certain parts of their bodies. And so it's so interesting to me that like, you know, even sex aside, like if you're not kind of looking and touching yourself, how do you know when something's irregular? And mm -hmm. so I think it's just so important for us to be in touch. And so there's so many ways in which we are also like environmentally disconnected from our bodies mm -hmm. and so I also think about things like um we get on a train we put headphones on we don't really interact with one another uh anymore mm -hmm. and so it's just it's it's easy to go into this remote place where we're so disconnected from even being a body and so it's just very concentrated on what our body is doing outwardly but there's no like inward motion if that makes sense 
Mm-hmm. And so I talk to women all the time and, and it's interesting. Like I, recently I had a client and, and she had just bought um, a new sponge, right. For to shower. And she usually was used to having a loofah. And so having a sponge was kind of this like new sensation for her, very simple. Mm-hmm. And she was using Dr. Bronner's peppermint soap, which I always recommend for body work just because it has that mint sensation to kind of bring you into the moment. Mm-hmm. And I work with a lot of people who have sensory processing disorders as well. And so using something like that is really nice. Um, there's just like an instant sensation to that. And she had never felt what it felt like to have peppermint soap on her feet before. And she mm. thought it was such like a, a nurturing, almost maternal feeling that made her feel very safe. And mm. just to think about the fact that that's such a simple thing to some people, what, you've never felt this sensation on your foot before, but it's so common. And so like what I find is by um, having more sex education, having more tantric education, having more connection to like somatic work and just in general in, in a healing sense is really allowing us to kind of do almost inner parent work in a way to re-nurture ourselves, to re-engage our senses. Mm-hmm. Do you find that as well, like on an emotional level where you feel like there's almost like a healing to it? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, what I am planning on doing um, going forward in my studies is looking at how um, kink and BDSM especially can be a form of trauma healing um, because I think there's such an importance on, like you were saying, the inner parent, inner child. Sex is play. You know, sex is many things, but one of the things it is is play and engagement with our bodies, our senses, and our world. And there's an infinity of sensations, of experiences, of ways that we can channel and express that play, whether it's something like foot play or whether it's, you know, spanking, which activates the root chakra or whether it's, you know, more tantric work, more breath work, um, which is more kind of heart centered as the heart chakra corresponds to the elemental air. And so there's such an infinity of ways that we can explore, um, sensations that we can explore, kind of different mental spaces that we can embody and inhabit. And I think it is so important to to have that body literacy, but to also engage with our world. Because if we think about what trauma healing is at its core, it's the ability to feel safe enough to and heal ourselves enough so that we can tune in rather than tune out. And I think that sex especially with it being such such an energetic um, and such an intimate and vulnerable experience often, um, that ability to connect with different sensations, to really connect with ourselves and to be able to focus on it and enjoy the present moment rather than tuning out or rather it being something we feel obligated to do or something that we feel obligated to avoid. Um, I think it's really important to be able to engage that way. Um, And that's what I really like about things like Tantra um, and like kink is that we can um, really connect with ourselves and a partner if we choose um, in different ways. We can channel different aspects of ourselves and we can explore in ways that we maybe wouldn't otherwise be able to. 
Absolutely. I'm actually doing a workshop on um, healing through BDSM with a few people right now. And we were just having a discussion a little bit um, about, well, first of all, BDSM is so healing, especially for uh, survivors of assault, because Mm -hmm. it allows us to re-engage with our boundaries. Mm -hmm. And it allows us to try on a persona, like you said, that um, is healing where we're in more of a power role. So there's that element to it, which is great. But there's also this other element to it where when you actually are able to harness that type of power, and, and this was so interesting for me to even experience, and it's kind of a transcendent moment. Um, and I'm sure if, if you can relate, you, you, you will kind of totally feel this, but when you have a wound inside of you and it, it becomes this almost somatic thing mm-hmm. where you carry it around with you, even though you're not aware of it. And just to like put it in perspective, if anyone who's listening at home, it's as simple as like loosening your jaw and realizing how tense you have been. Mm-hmm. And so when you're carrying around this trauma and, and this wound that's in, in, in the emotional body and you're able to finally release it, even if it's in, in a small way, little by little through these um, through sessions with BDSM um, and, and being put in these types of roles essentially what ends up happening is you change your whole energy field which is mm-hmm. amazing and it doesn't just it doesn't just exist in the bedroom it exists in life but even more to the point when someone is engaging with you on that level that level of boundaries that level of consent that level of actually knowing someone beyond um just the pleasure knowing their limits knowing knowing all of these things, knowing through body language, getting to the point where you don't have to actually use your words and you can understand a partner using that body language because you've worked that up. There is no other sense of intimacy that I feel like is higher. And it's just like, it, it, it really is one of the most tra- transformative experiences. But it, it, again, it needs to be built, like you said, like over time with either yourself or a partner that you really trust. But that is so... That is sex magic right there. <laughs> that is the most transformative experience. I've seen it happen with clients. I've seen it happen with myself. It like almost makes me want to cry. And to me, like essentially this comes full circle. I feel like that is what Lilith Incarnate would be, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Having that power to express one's own boundaries, to express when something isn't working for you and having the power to leave the situation and engage with something else Um, and also having the power to be able to surrender and to drop into that space of trusting someone else because you know that you can because you've had that interaction like I'll never forget the first time that I suspended um, with rope and there was that forefront of conversation about consent of you know have you eaten recently like are you you know are your nerves sensitive all of those preliminary questions of you know are you going to be okay in this scenario in that scenario and really being able to trust someone with hanging me upside down you know head down by rope and knowing that I can be okay, that I can allow myself to surrender to those sensations and just exist 
without having to do anything because we've established that foundation of mutual trust, of mutual consent. And once that foundation is there, that will hold me, that will keep me safe. And of course, um, as is needed, continuing that conversation. But I think that ability to have power in surrender is so beautiful um, and also as beautiful as being able to be dominant because in both scenarios, we are expressing that constructive control. Um, and that's the same thing as sex magic, you know, expressing that constructive control over our lives, over um, the circumstances that we find ourselves in. That's amazing. I, I, I love this conversation and I feel like we could talk about this forever. So I would love to have you back if you were willing to talk about this and maybe the little BBs can send us more questions. I did get a few questions from our listeners. Would you have a few minutes to answer them? Sure, of course. Okay, so one of one of our clients asked, uh, they mentioned they have sensory processing disorder. So what is a simple way to, that they can start practicing uh, sex magic that is conducive for somebody on the autism spectrum? Mm. Um, so I would definitely recommend, um, I mean, of course, I'm not a therapist or a doctor or anything. Um, so depending on what one is working with in terms of their own needs, their own abilities, um, and their own preferences um, to focus on either certain parts of the body or certain aspects of the mind, um, whichever works better for them. And to really hone in on, I mean, this goes for anyone, like what feels pleasurable to them, you know, in what ways they engage with pleasure. Um, I did some work with um, sex and disability and that whole concept of folks who are not often represented um, in mainstream media and mainstream porn. Um, folks who have any um, type of disability are often not uh, shown as expressing their sexuality freely. Um, and that's unfortunate um, because folks who are working with any different abilities are just as allowed to be sexual, just as able to engage with their sexuality. Um, and so, of course, depending on what someone is working with in terms of their unique abilities, um, honoring what feels good to them, you know, not pushing those boundaries because it is all about channeling whatever that deep full pleasure means in one's own body. So if there's certain sensations, um, either explicitly erotic or not, that can add to the experience, um, or certain kind of mental spaces that one can get into, or even different um, additions like music or candles or aromatherapy, um, whatever works for someone in their own minds and bodies, like creating that safe space for oneself um, and creating that space to be able to engage in one's body. I mean, even if it's something that is not explicitly erotic, um, like for folks who don't either have the space or ability or preference to specifically masturbate or use toys or use um, orgasm for sex magic, um, 
sensuality is also a wonderful tool. Um, and that, at least in my practice, I do also see as sex magic um, because sex is not explicitly sexual, excuse me, it's not explicitly physical. Um, orgasms are in the mind. They're not specifically in the body. There's no certain bodily movements, um, even that can be measured scientifically to express orgasm versus arousal in general. So if someone is perhaps dancing in a way that feels sensual and sexual to them um, or expressing their sexuality in any other litany of ways, uh, that is all pleasure magic. That is all sex magic. Someone had asked how they can connect with their twin flame um, and through who they're, they're separated from right now, currently. Mm -hmm. And they want to know how they connect, can connect with them during lockdown using tantric practices at home. Mm. So definitely using, um, I mean, the same techniques that we talked about earlier. Um, if someone is doing any sort of breath work in tandem, um, whether it's just at the same time and they're separated or whether it's on something like a video chat um, and doing perhaps reaching out their hands and expressing and receiving that energy at the same time, um, kind of connecting in that way, um, doing synchronous breath work, doing synchronous body work, and um, even distance Reiki is super, super effective. Um, and so kind of channeling those skills. Um, and even if there's things like, for example, if crystals really resonate with a certain person, um, if you perhaps pick out a nice crystal or, you know, a nice dried herb or something, um, and send it to your partner or your loved one as a gift, um, then they can kind of use that as, um, a reflection of your energy, you know, and Absolutely. utilize, yeah, utilize that as kind of like a physical embodiment of the energy of the other person to make that stronger. Someone had asked uh, how they could manifest with their partner some quick money and also stand in their power. Mm. So for money, um, this is very specific, but I definitely recommend the House of Hoodoo candles. Um, they are, it's H-A-U-S, House of Hoodoo, and they are a New Orleans-based um, conjure and folk magic shop. And I love their candles, and I feel like <laughs> they work from the moment you purchase them online. Um and they're super simple to use. Um, of course, if someone, um, you know, works with candle magic, but that is definitely what I would recommend first, um, if it's possible. And alternatively, um, you know, working with the sacral chakra, working with the solar plexus and the heart chakra, um, those I feel at least in my work, have been kind of my money chakras, especially the sacral chakra. Um, a practice that I have been doing recently is um, on the waxing moon, um, kind of developing like a money magic playlist, if you will. Um, so different songs either about money or that spark that sense of, you know, money and abundance and prosperity for the individual. And every day um, as the moon is waxing, so getting fuller, um, putting on one of those songs 
and dancing, you know, doing a sensual dance practice, um, especially focused on the sacral chakra. I love doing the goddess pose during it too, if I don't feel like dancing as much. And that for me has been super, super effective. Um, and of course, doesn't cost any money to just dance around. And at the full moon, um, taking your wallet or your purse outside and opening it um, in the moonlight and saying, oh, moon, oh, moon, oh, beautiful moon, fill her up, fill her up, fill her up. That is something that I learned from uh, one of my witches um, when she was in a coven down south in Georgia and has worked like a charm for me. <laughs> Amazing. Um, okay, so the final question, we, Minnie wanted to know, um, they said that they don't feel like they can harness their energy. They feel like blocked or stuck or they just don't have it. How can I begin to get past it? I think some people seem to have it naturally. For me, if I have it, it seems to be stuck somewhere, LOL. <laughs> mm. Yes. Oh, I I feel like that's such a common question too. I know. Yeah. So that's the thing is we can't, you know, Rome wasn't built in the day. We can't expect um, to be, you know, we all have that power within ourselves, but depending on how we've been socialized, depending on where we are at in our lives, um, it's, it is a skill, you know, being able to harness it and focus on it. Um, it is a skill and something that we do need to develop, especially if we've been made to feel disconnected from it for a while. So I would definitely recommend um, in terms of a foundational level, developing a an energetic practice or an energetic protection practice. Um, so that can be something as simple as envisioning a bubble of white light around oneself every morning and every evening um, and just kind of holding that um, as you go about your day or it can be something more ornate like a lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram every day or every week um, so starting with that protection because if we are not protected energetically then our energy is pretty much an open door for anyone and anything to take so I would start with that and noticing when someone does that energetic protection at the beginning of the day, um, if you feel different, you know, if you feel less impacted by your shitty coworkers or um, perhaps less drained by the demands of your day. Um, and also practicing intuition. So, you know, noticing how you feel if you go into a certain room or if you engage with a certain person, paying attention to how you feel in your mind and in your body. You know, when we say we feel something in our gut, it's because our gut is the center of our intuition in our bodies. Um, and so noticing those sensations and then as you begin to see how you're right, <laughs> um, whether that's through <laughs> noticing things and then they turn out to be true or whether it's through doing divination like tarot and then realizing that the things that you saw in tarot did end up becoming true, you'll begin to develop that trust in yourself and that ability to say, oh, like I'm feeling that, that pit in my stomach and that has always meant that someone is dangerous. Like, okay, I'm, I'm going to take myself away from this person because I, I feel like they're not good for me. You know, you'll be able to, to have that, that competent judgment for yourself and that will translate into 
knowing what is good and not so good for you, and then being able to determine what intentions um, you want to focus on and being able to know that you can achieve those. It's just kind of practicing that sense of competence. I want to just add on to that. Like I, for me personally, like discovering human design was like a huge Mm. part of that because we all have this inner authority within us. Like you just described the pit in the stomach. That's actually what, what is happening is that's in your Mm. spleen. That's your spleen telling you that someone is dangerous and it's kind of giving you that signal for some people who have certain human design auras um, that would be coming from their sacral Mm. chakra. And that would literally be a thing where they have to ask their pussy if they want to engage with this thing or if they don't because their their sacral is literally going to give mm-hmm. them an answer. Whereas some people, it might be their heart. Um, so there are different parts of your body that have responses to things. And so really kind of understanding your um, authority in human design can be a huge way of sort of engaging with that natural alarm clock that is going to tell you something is good for you or bad for you. And so just having that sort of authority and expertise and journaling about it and paying attention to it, I think will help you work more in alignment to yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Being able to, to engage with those systems like human design to know ourselves better, that's going to help us to like you said, be able to perceive those, those sensations and translate them into messages. Absolutely. Oh my God, Gwen, thanks so much for talking to us today. We're going to have to have you back. You answered everyone's questions. Now they have something to practice with when they get home tonight, either with a partner or by themselves. And um, you just taught us so much. So I appreciate Yeah, thank you for having me on. Have a great day as well. Bye-bye. I have a confession. I'm kind of obsessed with vintage lingerie, and I have been pretty much my whole life, which sounds kind of weird to say, but I also grew up obsessed with Courtney Love and her style was so informative to my own personal style since I was a child. I love slips, I love teddies, I love taking the pinup girl style and making it my own. And when I'm looking for good vintage lingerie, Bride of the Fox has my back. They are a store located in Roanoke, Virginia, but they have an online presence so you can shop online too. And you can find them on Instagram at Bride of the Fox. They have great items all the way from 1915 to the 1990s. Right now I'm kind of obsessed with this teddy that they have. It's like kind of beige and beautiful and silk, but what I really love is that it has a 40 inch bust and it's so hard to find lingerie that's like good for someone who's kind of top heavy like me. So if you're also into vintage lingerie, you should go right now, add Bride of the Fox on Instagram, and you can check out their Etsy store. Some of their stuff is also on Instagram. And if you do live in Virginia, go to their in-person store. They even have private appointments. Burn Black presents the Burn Black Book Club. Say that five times fast.
So I was in the process of moving this week and I decided to go through some of my older zines and I tried to reread them and see what I still connected to. You know, the whole process of give it away, give it away, give it away now. Did I just quote the Red Hot Chili Peppers? I think so. Guys, I'm canceled. Um, But I reconnected with this zine that is absolutely one of my favorite zines of all time. And I thought I'd switch it up this week and I'd, I'd talk a little bit about this zine and what it means to me. So, I am reviewing this book or zine, whatever you would want to refer to it as, although it is bound. Um, and it is called Linky, and it's by Erin Comet Boss, um, the very famous zine Comet Boss, which has been around since, well, prior to Maximum Rock and Roll. So it is the oldest still running zine. Is it not? Um, so Aaron Comet Bus is very special to me. I've never met him, although I feel like I know him so well. Um, both of us are Jewish zinesters. I lived for a short time in Berkeley, where he is from. And most of his zines take place during the time that he lived in Berkeley, which was the 80s and the 90s, during the height of what was the 924 Gilman phase of punk rock in that area. But more to the point, Aaron is just an incredible writer. Uh, I often say that he could make a story about two people sitting on top of a mailbox the most interesting thing you ever came across he's more like a director in that sense where he can just paint a story out of absolutely nothing and make it interesting and profound and it's really quite magical his early work he actually is known for his handwriting and he literally hand wrote every issue of his zine for years until um, the last few years where he has now printed them because that is quite time consuming and I assume he is an older man by now Um, sorry Aaron if you're listening I did not mean to insult you I still find you charming Um, but his handwriting is very distinct You might recognize it from Jawbreaker Records and other East Bay bands. Um, He did a lot of the lettering for a lot of their records. And so it's kind of a known handwriting if you're involved in punk. And this issue called Linky does not disappoint. It's a classic issue. It's the one I seem to revisit the most other than Pen Pals. And it's a story about Aaron and the first girlfriend that he had that, like, really, really resonated with him. And though it is a fictional account, I'm sure on some level it's based on a real person because plenty of the characters in the book are based on real people. And it's kind of this love affair as a zinester, him working at a copy shop. It's a beautiful love letter to the city of Berkeley in a lot of ways as well. And it's really a great coming-of-age story about... Um, Aaron himself and there's just this beautiful part that I like to revisit quite often where he talks about how punks are going to save the world with their safety pins and their pens and it always charms me when I read this because just the way that he's able to relate I'm, I myself am a Jewish person but his own Jewish faith 
things like the word trafe, for instance, um, which he has talked about <laughs> in previous scenes as a euphemism for some, when something is uh, not kosher. Um, but just even just the little Jewish anecdotes mixed with the punk rock stuff and just the charm of childhood and, and youth and that part where you're, you're first falling in love with something or someone for the first time. And it's just, just a beautiful coming-of-age story. And it reminds me of a time and a place in my own life that I find very sentimental. And so I like to revisit this scene quite often. And I recommend it to you guys this week. If you want to get lost in the pages of another time and place that is very beautiful to me. I highly recommend ordering it. Um, I'm sure you can find it online. If not a used copy, buy a used copy. It'll help somebody else out right now, I'm sure. And, you know, uh, read his backlog of zines. They're all wonderful, but in particular, I really enjoy uh, Pen Pals as well. I love any sort of uh, story that he does where he just talks about people. That's what he does well. He talks about people and scenes and punk just so beautifully. Someone has christened him a punk rock anthropologist, which I've heard that he hates. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm not going to call him that, but that's what he's really become known for. I will quote my friend Colin Atrophy, who says that he used to believe that Aaron would uh, go around to different punk rock scenes and and just start them (laughs) like a, a punk rock Johnny Appleseed. So I will I will leave you on that and I will read more books to review them soon. But in the meantime, bye it's mean guys. Love you. And now for the self-care tip of the week. Hey everyone, I'm Dominique from Mindful Mentors. I'm a New York State certified teacher with a dual master's in adolescent education and students with disabilities. My goal is to shift the paradigm of education in this country through a natural whole child-based approach to learning. Now, it it really doesn't seem like self-care and education go together, but now more than ever, it's, it's really important that we begin learning how to bridge the gap between education and spirituality. You know, when we're on the right path in life, everything flows. When life flows, we're successful, we're abundant, and we're happy, which is what we need to teach our kids. Now, kids learn from seeing us, hearing us, and from mimicking us. They absorb our emotions, and they take on our habits and our traits. Things like reading with them and reading in front of them are real vital self-care strategies that will help both of you for a long time to come. Um, There have been so many studies showing that those who read voraciously have better coping mechanisms, better overall relationships, higher functioning emotional responses, and really just a better understanding of themselves along with higher self-esteem. 
All of this comes from the exposure we gain from the different storylines, problems, solutions, and the many characters and their voices and their actions. All of the components of reading help us make better choices in our own lives, you know, based on what we have already experienced, whether that's in just day-to-day living or through the experiences that we've read about in our different books. Uh, Self-care really needs to be an integral part of rebuilding our education system. Uh, The next few years are really going to be experimental. Uh, You know, keeping an open dialogue with your kids about what they love learning about and what they love reading about and also just taking the time out to sit and read with them. You know, that is self-care and it also sets a really positive precedent for them. Um, Parenting can really sometimes feel coercive and draining, you know, as can life in general, even without kids. You know, it takes a substantial amount of emotional maturity to be able to watch your kids grow and turn into themselves while learning to adapt to their growth while also growing yourself. Um, Kids who read for enjoyment are curious and they take that curiosity into adulthood and they learn to question things and they learn to be a good friend and a good partner. You know, happy, healthy kids have, ha- ha- you know, they have high self-esteem and they grow into happy, healthy adults. Self-care in many ways is such a dynamic part of this. You know, remember that society and big education will always demand conformity, but the soul, the individual, you know, the, we need need this freedom to find what comes next. You know, being consistent with our self-care rituals with our little ones will build these positive habits. These positive habits are going to take these with them into their own family, into their own relationships. Now, let your kids also see yourself uh, taking care of yourself. You know, learn your family's human design. Uh, Read in front of them. Take salt baths. Drink some tea. Deep breathing. Paint. Whatever fills your cup. You can't pour from an empty cup. Be the leader that inspires your child to care about their health and their well-being and who values themselves even at a young age, inside and out. You know, if if I can ever help you and your family on your journey in education and help you guys to light a torch in your child for learning in this new paradigm, please, you could find me on Instagram at mindful underscore mentors. You know, stay healthy, stay happy, and always, always stay learning. Thank you so much. I enjoyed my conversation with Gwendolyn. She's fantastic, guys, and I'm, I hope to have her back. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as well. I want to thank uh, Mindful Mentors for giving their self-care tip of the week. We love and appreciate you so much, and we hope to keep collaborating with you. And I want to thank uh, Try the Pie, as always, for allowing us to use their song Old Wounds as our theme song. And I'd like to thank my friend Stephen Edwards for collaborating some more music on this episode. And as always, Carrie Sterling for um, our interlude music as well. So this is going to be a tough week. So I encourage you guys, face your demons. If you don't face the demons, they're not going to go away. They're just going to show up in your nightmares. So remember that. You can't conquer what you don't face. And it feels so much better to conquer the mountain 
than it does to hide behind it. So live in your truth, be authentic, be punk, be real, and be brave. I believe in you. Good night. Dum, da, da, dum, 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 dum. Why don't you let me go by? Dum, I find it hard to resist with you. Why can't we live on the fly? Burn black.